This is David Bateson, the voice of Agent 47, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 157 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, December 11th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we'll discuss the no-show by Xbox at this year's Game Awards and just what that means for games upcoming in 2023. After that, we'll welcome Ukrainian developer Antonina Melnikova to the show. A narrative lead at Frogware is working on the Sherlock Holmes series. She'll discuss what it's like to navigate the difficulties of making a game in wartime while dealing with attacks, rolling blackouts, and just how to stay focused on the source material. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, it's a bit different as I extend words of kindness to my late friend, Grant Wall. He was a sports journalist working to cover the World Cup in Qatar this past weekend when he suddenly collapsed. A lot of controversy surrounding him as he had worn a pride shirt uh, to a stadium and been denied entry to it. Uh, I knew Grant Wall. Uh, pretty well at one point. He was working for Sports Illustrated about a decade and a half ago when I was making my way as a nobody in soccer journalism. I had a blog, I had a podcast, and nothing else. And when I was a nobody and he worked for Sports Illustrated, he was giving me advice. He was coming on my show. He was connecting me with people. He taught me, uh, along with two other wonderful individuals, Neil Morris and Matt Doyle, uh, he taught me how to interview people, what it meant to be a journalist, the rules to follow, the do's and don'ts. And I made a lot of mistakes on the way, and Grant was always kind. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that if you've paid attention to the World Cup at all, you've probably seen this story. But I got to know Grant uh, at one point in my life, and he was just a wonderful human being. And it's been really cool to see all the, the positive tributes in the wake of his death that uh, was absolutely heartbreaking and perhaps a bit suspect given um, the way the Qatari government treated him. But... <clears throat> That said, uh, I think it's important that you guys know that uh, XEP would not have existed without Grant Wall because of the lessons that he taught me. And he was a really special uh, individual to me who, when I was at my lowest, he uh, and just a few others taught me how to ask the right questions, taught me how to be a journalist on some levels. And while I would not say and count myself as a journalist now, perhaps just enthusiast media, uh, Grant taught me how to play that game just a bit better than I could otherwise. And I think the reason that I've been able to have some of the high profile guests on this show, the reason I've been able to stay composed in certain moments comes from lessons from, from high level journalists like him. And so I remember him fondly. Uh, if any of you listening, uh, perhaps listened to off the bench many, many years ago, or followed me from soccer when I covered MLS and North American soccer at one point, uh, and you happen to listen to XEP now, uh, cheers to you and, and thank you for following this long. And to anybody else, I encourage you to check out uh, Grant Wall's life because he was uh, just genuinely one of those those good, good people for sure. Bit of housekeeping, guys. I know Hive Social is down, but you can follow me on Hive at Insipid Ghost and you can follow me on Instagram at Insipid Ghost. I'm going to start working to post in those two places uh, more often. 
Uh, of course, you can also find this show over on YouTube. You can find it uh, youtube.com slash Xbox Expansion Pass as I work to make YouTube shorts as well. This has been a really fun production level thing for me, and I'm debating whether or not to make this recording a video recording as well as an audio recording. It would just be me talking. I don't know if that'd be worthwhile to you, uh, but maybe roll some gameplay in the background here and there. I don't know. I'm not a big producer. Uh, those of you that listen to the audio, you, you know that, but um, I'm debating just kind of dabbling in that as I want to kind of extend the reach of XCP here and there. So uh, let me know what you guys think. If you've got feedback, you can always email me insipidghost at gmail.com. And then, of course, you can find me on all the socials that I just listed at insipidghost. Well, let's get on to some gaming news. This past week, it was made public uh, by Phil Spencer and several Microsoft executives that they have entered into a 10-year commitment to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo uh, if they were to let the Activision Activision Blizzard deal go through. Microsoft committed to 10 years of bringing Call of Duty to Nintendo, something that hasn't been happening in recent years. They also extended that same invitation to Valve, which Valve politely declined, saying they did not need to sign an agreement because they believe that Microsoft will honor its agreement. So a a nice word of support coming out of Valve as well. Interestingly, this same offer was offered to Sony and rejected which was all that much more interesting to see that Nintendo accepted. Valve didn't feel the need to accept because they believed in Microsoft's vision, uh, perhaps due to the way they've been putting games, uh, their first-party games onto Steam, the way they've been putting their first-party games onto PC with comfortability for years, uh, perhaps the way they've stewarded the Minecraft franchise. A lot of evidence to show that Microsoft doesn't want to make full exclusives with regularity, and it wouldn't really be prudent with Call of Duty. But Sony nonetheless rejected this deal and was not interested, not willing to sit down at the table. All of this came out the day prior to finding out that the FTC would be suing in order to block the Activision Blizzard merger uh, with Microsoft in order to block that acquisition, all things considered. Uh, And in all likelihood, what this means is that more concessions by Microsoft are going to need to be made in order for the deal to go through. Uh, It also came out that the European commissions are a bit in conflict with the FTC here uh, and that they are are, uh, not quite in agreement with the way the FTC is wording some things. There are far more educated people in this realm to give you insight on this one, but it is interesting nonetheless. Uh, I find all of this fascinating, although I'm a bit bored of the topic. Because while this is going on and and several senators in the United States are coming out trying to stop big mergers from tech companies, they're not perhaps looking at some of the behaviors of those tech companies in recent years, Sony, Microsoft, Blizzard, uh, Bungie, uh, Bethesda, etc. It's really interesting to watch kind of the discourse surrounding it by those that are rational minded and informed. And then to watch some of the commentary by the uninformed is equally interesting, though a bit frustrating. So take that for what you will. I find this FTC action all the more uh, amusing in this sense because I look at what's going on in the European commissions uh, as well as they're working to break up kind of the duopoly by Google and Apple on an app store and a powerful Microsoft could enter in and be a third element in the app store categories. So it makes sense to empower Microsoft with the the king portion of Activision Blizzard king uh, in order to up their app game. Uh, and kind of create a competitor in that space. Meanwhile, the FTC is saying, whoa, 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 maybe not as good. Nonetheless, uh, people keep asking me whether or not I think the deal is going to go through. Yes, I I do. 
but I don't actually care, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm just over it, I guess, at this point. Plus, a lot of the Activision Blizzard titles, um, I don't want to ever see them go exclusive. Like, I don't want to see Call of Duty be exclusive. I think it's better and, and more lively to see it you know, flourishing on multiple platforms. I love playing with Joseph Moran from the Trophy Room. He's on his PlayStation. I'm on my Xbox. Couldn't care less that he's on his PlayStation. Uh, it's healthier for the user base and, and, you know, rock on is kind of what I say in that category. But it is a story that we consistently need to bring up because we do see changes happening in it. So it's fascinating. I have to wonder at this point whether or not PlayStation proper is burning some bridges with Activision Blizzard because as share prices adjust uh, and go down and, and are messed with on the Activision side, they want this deal to go through. And while current agreements must be honored, future agreements may be in danger. So I'm really interested to know, uh, let's say the deal doesn't go through with Activision Blizzard. Microsoft is not able to acquire them. They lose a couple billion dollars, but not $70 billion. Uh, and then in future, does Call of Duty switch its marketing back from PlayStation over into Xbox territory? Does that happen? Do they burn bridges in that category? I don't know. I would think so. PlayStation has not necessarily been conducting themselves well. Uh, they've tended to look like the bad guy in the majority of these situations. And th the question has to be asked in a world where uh, we're all about, you know, what have you done for me lately? PlayStation continues to deliver top tier first party exclusives, but they're definitely burning bridges with developers, with publishers, uh, with, with trade commissions. And I have to wonder, what does this do to their future going for? Because Microsoft looking like the good guy, but not necessarily making the first party games in 2022. So it's a, it's a weird dichotomy of feeling between them. And I, I just, it's, it's interesting, I guess is the best place to put it, but I am tired of it. I don't know if you guys are tired of it. I'm tired of it. It's just, do I care? Do you care? Should you care? I don't know, man. At this point, it's just like, whatever. But uh, for Phil Spencer and the, the teams to be coming out and making 10-year promises to Nintendo, making the promises to Valve, uh, and, and offering it to Sony does make them look like the good guys. Uh, and this all coming, you know, a few days prior to the Game Awards where Xbox didn't show up. If you guys watched the Game Awards, it was a really good show. I thought a lot of people reaching out asking me uh, what I thought of the show. Uh, was it good? I, I had a migraine during it, and so I did not necessarily watch all of it live. I was kind of in and out. Then I went, went back and I watched recaps, read recaps, watched announcements and speeches. Uh, and in short, I thought it was a great Game Awards uh, for the industry. I thought it looked pretty darn good. We got, we got some great announcements. I made a list of all the games I was into, and, and the pacing seemed pretty darn good, especially compared to uh, some years ago when the Schick Hydra Man was showing up. I liked it. I thought it was a good Game Awards. Uh, but without a doubt, Xbox was a no-show. They did not uh, bring anything to the table. And this brings up a question from Todd Oxtra and several others. Let's go with Todd's first. He says, based on the no-show at the Game Awards for Xbox, despite Phil Spencer being there and Aaron Greenberg saying there was more info to come soon, what do you think the plan is to provide updates in the first half of the 2023 schedule? January is coming soon. Man, uh, phew, Todd, great question. Uh, I think a lot of people are asking the same thing with you. It was good to see Phil Spencer there, though. Uh, if I'm being honest, he looked a little worse for wear of late. He's looking, he's looking tired. He's looking uh, a little bit rough, and I, I worry because, <laughs> I mean, he's not my buddy, but like Phil feels like everyone's buddy, right? You know, he feels like he feels like one of us, and so perhaps we have we have a sense of ownership about that, and his presence is calming in a lot of ways for gamers. He just seems like a good dude. 
And it really looks like a lot of this travel is taking a toll on him. He looked tired. And uh, who can blame him for that? But I want I want him to look healthy and good. Like, I want all of them to. Um, yeah, man, what does it mean for 2023, especially the first half? Well, we know that we've got... Uh, ooh, okay, so let me, let me take a step back on this, guys. Because I want to break down Xbox's 2022 before I answer Todd's question about 2023. Xbox in 2022 was a failure. Despite a lot of good things, you got to give some good credit where due and some good criticism where it's necessary. In 2022, there was a lot of really good stuff that Xbox did. Grounded hit 15 million players. Sea of Thieves grew to its biggest point ever, including launching its Season 8 update, which has been universally acclaimed and bringing a lot of community features. Forza Horizon 5 had a fantastic expansion. Uh, and despite a very troublesome year, Halo Infinite nailed it with its winter update and update kind of half update that they just dropped. They've had two really good updates for its community in the last month and a half. Uh, so they've ended really well with Halo Infinite and uh, kind of its other pillar franchises did quite well. They launched Pentiment to critical acclaim. And while that's a niche title, that's only going to have very small appeal. I bounced off of it within 30 minutes. Um, they launched that, and that's a pretty darn good get, and they had expansions and, and content come to Microsoft Flight Simulator. That's a pretty darn good 2022 in some respects. They brought a lot of good stuff there. But when you compare it to first-party releases, new games, not expansions, not uh, not kind of spotlights onto a game that's, that's getting updated, they fell flat, and it hurt a lot. Some really big, big missteps in 2022 from Microsoft, including promoting As Dusk Falls in lieu of that Forza Horizon expansion. There was no reason why they couldn't separate that by a month and give credit to both. Um, regardless of anyone's feelings on As Dusk Falls, love it or hate it, and that wasn't for me, um, to, to negate promoting Forza Horizon's expansion and just focus on As Dusk Falls was a big miss given the lack of content in 2022. Uh, very, very frustrating there. When you look at what their their major competitor in Sony put out this year, they put out Gran Turismo 7, Horizon Forbidden West, The Last of Us Remake, God of War Ragnarok, and I think I'm missing one other. Um, really disappointing by comparison that Microsoft couldn't bring anything to the table in terms of big first-party releases. And that's a known element, but it does highlight that at the end of the day, uh, that's a miss. That's a big miss. It all comes down to the games. Again, credit where due. The game prices didn't go up in 2022, though they're expected to next year. The console prices were more available. Uh, sorry, the consoles were more available and the console prices maintained through this holiday season. Credit to them. A lot of day one Game Pass games dropping into Game Pass, which is a big benefit. The service continues to flourish. Credit where due. But at the end of the day, no first-party releases. And that brings up the idea, what do you have for 2023, and how are you going to share the news about it? That's what Todd's asking is, what do they got? How are they going to show it? Well, we know for 2023, they've got Forza Motorsport, Starfield, and Redfall. That's what we know for 2023. And of you know, kind of outside of that, these are the games we know about for Microsoft in the future from first-party. Fable, Perfect Dark, Indiana Jones, Avowed, Everwild, State of Decay 3, Minecraft Legends, and Hellblade 2. There are a few more kind of nebulous projects that are going on, uh, like Outer Worlds 2 and I think like a few other like codenamed things. But they've got a lot of stuff that we know about, and yet 
so much of it we don't know much about, which begs the question, just how ready are they to show things? My anticipation is that you get an Xbox event, an inside Xbox or something uh, new to be its equivalent. I really hope it's not a live thing. Pre-produce that bad boy, put it out there. The live shows uh, are not, they don't, they just don't do well anymore. There's no reason to have that. Give us a, a Nintendo Direct, a PlayStation State of Play, Xbox variant of that. Live shows are not necessary. Uh, but I think you're due to have that in January or February. Uh, I wonder about January, Todd, because, you know, when is that going to be made? Are they making that right now? Are they going to be working on that over the holidays? Uh, what's the plan on that one? And if the stuff was so ready for January, why not just have it at the Game Awards? A trailer, a gameplay trailer, something. Uh, for it to be a no-show at the Game Awards is very disappointing for, I think, the fans that have been Sticking through with Xbox throughout 2022 is despite the lack of content, uh, the lack of first party new releases, I should say. I got to be very careful because content is a very nebulous term now, given all that we do get as gamers. Maybe January is not the time. Perhaps it is a February event. And is that a wise choice given some of the games that are coming out? I would say yes. You need an Xbox presence early in Q1, and so late January, early February, that needs to happen because Xbox needs to remind players just what it's got on the table for 2023 because too often have we heard the promise of soon, it's coming, you'll get it. I, I think Xbox gamers are a bit tired of that. Despite all the good stuff that has genuinely been brought to the table, it's time for first-party releases. It's time for a comparable slate of games. Uh, and you need more than just Redfall and Starfield and Forza Motorsport. Uh, something needs to be to be on the level of God of War. I don't know if those titles are, but there's something missing in the Xbox Pantheon that compares the third-person narrative action game. Uh, some people would suggest Hellblade. Uh, some people would suggest other titles. I know with, with Jam Pack Sam, the host of Exhibition, who I got to join this past week, shout out to him. Um, he was talking about how he puts Hellblade and God of War kind of in the same category, despite that might not being fair to, to Ninja Theory. And I agree with him. I do the same thing. It's time for Xbox to have that title. Um, they have thrived, Microsoft has, on games that are are kind of multiplayer-centric, like Halo and, and Grounded and Sea of Thieves. But I'm ready for some single-player stuff. Um, I don't know... I don't know if they're ready to deliver it, but they need to show us what they're going to deliver. So... You know, the big thing is we need a showcase early in 2023 where they're they're proving to us that, that that all of this work and headache has been worth it. The Bethesda headache was worth it. I haven't seen anything out of Bethesda that's that's been exclusive to Microsoft for Microsoft gamers. You know, shout out shout out to Ghostwire and Deathloop, uh, multi-platform, honored the agreement, good guys, Xbox, all that is good stuff. But it's time to, to show the specific fan base that's invested in your your box, in your accounts, and that's been logging in under Xbox uh, Xbox Live. What do we care about? Uh, Aaron Greenberg did come out and say they've got plans, but timing is everything. The question then must be asked, was the timing uh, not good enough that you couldn't have gotten it out a month ahead at the Game Awards? Was there a reason for that? Was it likely, or sorry, was it possibly due to the ongoing commission stuff where they, where they were trying to make their case. Does Microsoft want to look as weak as possible next to Sony during these, these lawsuits? Is that, is that the idea of it? If so, well, that sucks. You know, like if that's the case, that's a, that's a, 
a very frustrating way to go about supporting your fan bases. You've got a lot of good stuff in the works. The question is, are you going to be able to deliver? Uh, I know my, my, uh, buddy Joseph Moran again from the trophy room. He is wondering if Matt Booty is the right guy to be heading up these studios. And I have the same question. It's not meant to be a critique. Perhaps he was the guy that got the ball rolling. Is there someone that needs to take it a step further? Is that a thing for all those questions being asked? Um, I think it's a fair thing to ask them without being vitriolic. So I, I want to see a Q1 uh, showcase from Microsoft where they do talk about what they've got to come in 2023 specifically. Uh, do you have games? Do you have content expansions for the first half of 2023? Are you going to have something that's comparable to Sony on some level where you've got, I mean, again, 2022 for Sony, Horizon, Gran Turismo, Last of Us Remake, God of War, just those alone are pretty big deal, right? What do you got for us, Microsoft? Proof is in the pudding. Let's see it. Uh, right now, I think their early 2023 is Atomic Heart day one into Game Pass. That's what I think is happening. You know, like, so, all right, give me more. I need more. Um, again, I a lot of love for the for the the brand and the approach and the, the services and the way they treat gamers in, in so many respects. But let's see it. Let's see it. All right, let's loop back to the Game Awards and these topics. Famous Seamus wrote in, he said, what were some of your favorite moments from the Game Awards? What do you think was the biggest snubbed game at the Game Awards? Any games you think should have won over the actual winner? Uh, we'll go in reverse order here, Famous Seamus. I think Elden Ring was the winner of the Game Awards, rightfully so. Elden Ring was a fantastic video game. Uh, while I did a bad job onboarding players into the genre, it was just an immaculate experience. As a non-Souls player, I had 150 hours in Elden Ring and enjoyed quite a bit of it, learned a lot about that genre. I was all there for it. As far as the biggest snub, I'm not sure I saw a ton of snubs. Uh, God of War and Elden Ring did a good job of kind of taking a lot of places. I didn't understand at all why Stray was even there nominated. Um, I thought them winning Best Indie Game debut was kind of a, a snub, I suppose, to Vampire Survivors, which should have been there. I think that's taken the, the industry by storm. But... At the same time, like one man's opinion, right? Uh, a lot of people really did enjoy Stray, and congratulations to that team. Uh, it was not a game that I would have put there, and I would have put Vampire Survivors in. But beyond that, sometimes uh, I, I, I think we get too caught up in just who and what are, are is involved for deciding the game awards, and I don't have energies for that. I suppose uh, there were a lot of categories like best esports coach. I don't care. I don't know. Whatever. Moving on. Uh, you know, best best content creator. And then the future class. Looking at the future class was it was weird. Like maybe I'm too old. I looked at that future class. And I'm like I don't know any of you people. And that last list was huge. And again, congratulations to those people. But I think I'm just out of touch in some ways. And maybe that's that's kind of the way that that's meant to work is to expose you to new things, right? Um, but yeah, Vampire Survivors, I suppose, was my biggest snub. And then favorite moments? Uh, I don't know that I have a favorite moment. It was really cool to see Al Pacino squinting at the screen and then Chris Judge ruin everything by talking forever. That was funny. Um, I can t I'll use this question to talk about some of the things I loved seeing at the Game Awards. There were a lot of games that were shown that I was just there for. Uh, Jedi Survivor was top top billing for me absolutely loved seeing that Cameron Monaghan coming out there uh clearly in the role of Cal Kestis loving it uh he looked right at home having a lightsaber in his hand 
He looked right at home, sharing his thoughts about the game, being excited for it. And that felt good, I guess. Kind of like watching Chris Judge be Kratos. It felt cool to see Cameron Monaghan be Cal Kestis. Um, I know I had a fun moment where I tweeted out that I had just purchased the special edition or the collector's edition of Jedi Survivor, the $300 thing from Limited Run Games. Um, and then I, my joke was that like, uh, I'm gonna have to find a way to tell my wife that I just did this. And, uh, I was nervous about it. I did tell my wife and she was so freaking cool about it. She was like, babe, you know, in the world of hobbies, you don't have expensive hobbies. You're not buying boats or jet skis or anything. You get your game and you enjoy it. And I was like, who are you? And what did you buy that I don't know about? Um, (laughs) But I'm so stoked for Jedi Survivor. Also, shout out to my wife. She got me a signed poster for Batman vs. Superman, signed by Gal Gadot, Ben Affleck, and Henry Cavill, knowing full well that I'm a huge, huge, huge DC fan who loves uh, the Snyderverse. That doesn't mean I think other things are the worst because they're not. Um, But I was just really excited about that. What a cool gift. My wife was awesome these past few days, which definitely means uh, I've done something wrong and it's coming. Whew. Um, yeah, so, so back to game awards. I loved Jedi survivor. I loved the suicide squad trailer. I have not been high on suicide squad because I like to play as the hero, not the villain. And to see their tribute to Kevin Conroy, to see Batman show up in what is meant to be the Arkham verse was really interesting. What does that mean? Batman supposedly died at the end of Arkham Knight, which is my favorite game of all time. What does that mean to find out that Kevin Conroy's final performance as Batman, uh, final performance ever, uh, rest in peace to him, is in this game, was a really cool tribute. I'm now very excited for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League in a way that I wasn't expecting to be. Uh, I still would rather play as the heroes, but so it goes. Um, excited to see what Rocksteady has put together there. Very, very cool debut for Crime Boss. I was excited for Crime Boss in a way that I am not excited for Grand Theft Auto. I think Grand Theft Auto is very bloated, but I was in on Crime Boss. Like, let's go. Danny Glover in there, Vanilla Ice, Chuck Norris. Uh, Interested to see what Crime Boss brings to the table. I was stoked for that one. I was surprised we didn't see anything from Avatar, by the way. thought we would have seen some stuff from Avatar, but so it goes. The Cyberpunk expansion looks fantastic fantastic to see idris elba in there phantom liberty in there uh i'm stoked for the new cyberpunk expansion i was equally excited by the way if you missed it cyberpunk is has abandoned its multiplayer content they are focusing now on single player content no longer is there going to be a multiplayer element for cyberpunk 2077 uh at least for the time being kotaku put out an article on that one stoked for that actually i want more single player games so yes sir let's take it uh, what else was at the Game Awards that was dope? Diablo 4 has been on a lot of people's radar. I thought it looked really good. As a non-Diablo guy, I'm in on Diablo 4. That game looks awesome. A lot of my friends were getting that collector's edition. They are stoked. Uh, I am excited to play with them, though I doubt it will be a game that I live in. I'm there for that for sure. Hellboy, interesting. Interesting as a superhero guy. Hellboy's art style looks really cool. And this one looks true to the comics, working with Dark Horse. Um, the gameplay was, it didn't really click with me in that one little bit of snippet we saw, but, um, plenty of time. I'm curious to see just what happens with the web of weird there. Uh, a lot of people were excited for Judas, which is the new game out, of, uh, out from Kev Levine. Uh, cool. This is kind of a Bioshock successor. 
uh, made by the same people that made the original Bioshocks. That's really neat. It definitely looks like Bioshock in a lot of ways. Um, and I understand why everybody is so stoked on it. I think after the Callisto Protocol and Glenn Schofield's kind of dead space successor has not fallen flat, but fell short of expectations. I'm a bit more timid on my excitement levels for this one, but I'm curious and excited to watch it. Uh, and I don't think that's meant to be a diss towards Callisto or to Judas. It's just a matter of, I'm a guy that likes double A games. Shout out to those things. Uh, let's make sure we don't put undue pressure on Judas to be something that it can't be just yet. Because I think that's what happened with Callisto is people were like, all right, this is the real Dead Space 3. It's going to be triple A experience, yada, yada. And what we really had was a double A team punching above their weight. Uh, and maybe we put undue pressure on them. Maybe Glenn Schofield did that with his his promotion of the game. Fair arguments on both both elements of that. So we'll see. Uh, what else? Hades 2. Hades 2 looked really cool, right? Like, I really enjoyed Hades. That's a really fun game. Uh, excited to see a sequel on that one. And then Street Fighter 6. I'm stoked for Street Fighter 6. Uh, excited to see just what Street Fighter 6 brings to the table. I love Street Fighter 4. Did not play 5 because it was exclusive, and I thought that was a poor choice uh, for Capcom. And I just faded away from fighting games for a bit. Um, so, yeah, man, the Game Awards brought a lot that I was excited for, but none more than Jedi Survivor. Uh, none more than Suicide Squad's tribute to Kevin Conroy. And absolutely pardon me, cyberpunk and, and crime boss got me as well. So yeah, man, what a good game awards. I thought really and truly a good game awards. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go for that one. Let's take uh, one or two more questions here before I kick you out to the interview with our Ukrainian friends. Uh, this question comes from Texas. He says, I don't mind Xbox not showing off much at the game awards. They've done a spectacular job for it the last two years. My concern is, why aren't they marketing games coming to Game Pass? Why are they not marketing games coming to Game Pass? Where are the adverts for Pentiment, for Scorn, and now High on Life? That's a fair question. Can't argue that. Um, I don't know why you'd be marketing Scorn. I think that game probably disappointed. But it's a good, you know, it was nominated for the, for a Game Award in art design. Uh, why are you not promoting Pentiment? Why are you not promoting High on Life? I think it's twofold. Texas. I don't think Pentiment shows well. I think it's a game you need to experience. It's kind of like Vampire Survivor, but you put up a screenshot uh, or a clip of gameplay and it's not going to do much for you. And I think Pentiment has a lot of talent behind it, but it, people bounce off of those type of games quickly. And then uh, High on Life, there's some weird marketing elements to that, uh, given that the, kind of the drug relationship to it. Uh, I know Aaron Greenberg's been tweeting about it nonstop. Uh, I think that humor type is very specific and it's not going to click with everyone perhaps the way we hope to, but you're right. I thought Microsoft did a bad job advertising some of its best traits coming from Game Pass and they had one really good trailer in there, but for Microsoft to be, you know, two, three years ago sharing, was it three years ago, man, showcasing the Xbox Series X for the first time, Hellblade, et cetera. Them not to be there was weird. I had heard Hellblade would be there. I had heard GoldenEye would release there and nothing. So either I'm misinformed and again, not a high level insider, not the guy to do that. Like that's not my brand. That's not what I do. I would never claim to know everything. I just, you know, if I hear something from interviewing people, cool, but that's not me. But even I was surprised by like nothing, nothing. Um, and I think they've kind of relaxed a bit on marketing. At least it seems like it, which maybe that's a 
tactical decision as they kind of go through these legal proceedings. Uh, nonetheless, one thing that the Xbox team has not shied away from is saying, hey, we didn't deliver on X and Y. We know we need X and Y done for our gamers. We know we need to deliver games. We know Halo Infinite stumbled. I've appreciated that clarity of thought. And I would imagine that 2023 brings a better version of that. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's go to the next question. This one from Mr. Edward Varnell, always supporting the show. Edward, you are the man. I appreciate your kindness so often. You always give me difficult questions, funny questions, stuff that I have to consider and ponder. And I know you're a diehard Nintendo fan, uh, and, and I'm more in the Xbox and PlayStation category, but I really appreciate you always listening to the show, man. So thank you for that support. Uh, Edward says, though Microsoft was silent on games front this year, do you see any fairness given to them about about it, like when other companies go silent before they drop multiple announcements. Is Microsoft building anticipation the right way to have players feel that it's worth the wait? Um, no, they're not building it the right way. They're actually doing it uh, fairly poorly, I would argue. But again, that could be related to other factors like the Activision Blizzard merger, like the legal proceedings, trying to look as though they don't have much coming, look like they're in a weaker position to help the deal go through. That could be an element to it, or I'm just an armchair analyst and wrong. Um, as I said, I was very critical of their decision to promote uh, As Dusk Falls instead of you know some of its first-party content expansions with, with Forza Horizon. I don't think they've done a good job at, at sharing the great things that have come to Halo Infinite. I jumped back in. It really is good stuff. The player counts in Halo Infinite are going up. I don't think they're sharing that very well. They should be having some Game Pass deals out there selling this thing. Uh, at a discounted price, getting players in. They really need to do a better job of that. So I don't see that happening. But again, what do I know compared to what they know? They see numbers. They see, see statistics. And we know Game Pass is doing very well. Uh, if they do have multiple announcements on the way, I think we talked about it previously in the show, it needs to come late January, early February. It should have come at the Game Awards. Uh, I think rightfully so, several journalists uh, of high profiles like Jez Corden and Ryan McCaffrey have come out and written articles about it. They definitely did their gamers a disservice, and I don't think they're building anticipation the right way. If anything, they have damaged their position with, with fans after the no-show at the Game Awards. Um, but gaming is an industry where people have short memories in many ways, uh, and if the games deliver... Uh, quickly and well then i think all is forgiven that tends to be how that goes uh, if the games don't deliver then people have longer memories cite the xbox one for all the great things that happened in the xbox one era I'm talking about games with gold arriving backward compatibility arriving uh, the xbox one x upgrades the enhanced with x for free game pass being a thing so many amazing things happened during the xbox one era the elite controllers amazing amazing stuff uh, and without the best top-tier first-party games, long memories. When you get the best top-tier first-party games, short memories. See PlayStation. So I think I think that's what's going on there. Uh, my last question comes from Mr. Jam Pack Sam, whom I absolutely love. Uh, again, I was on his show just yesterday, so that's gone live at the time of this recording. You'll be able to check it out on his channel. Uh, you know, uh, Exhibition is the name of his show, uh, and he's huge on TikTok now. Which shout out to him, man! Congratulations on your success. Sam says, I'd love to hear some of your favorite gaming holiday memories or what games really get you into the holiday spirit for around this time of year. For me, it's always Forza Horizon for one reason or another, along with some light Christmas music in the background. He enjoys it. So that's cool. Holiday games, man. Some of my best memories come from Metal Gear Solids 1 and 2, being snowed in, playing those games. 
uh, on my, my PlayStation, uh, just, just kind of looking out into the, the snowy backgrounds of being snowed in from school and just playing Metal Gear Solids one and two, man, nonstop people coming to the door. Luke, you want to come outside? No, I'm playing Metal Gear Solid. Um, yeah, it was just really, really cool. Uh, good memories from that one. I think more recently, uh, Arkham Origins is a really good holiday game. If you're a Batman fan, DC fan, I know many of you guys are. Uh, that's a really fun, really fun game. I think I often have gone through Halos during the holiday season. I don't think I'll be doing that this year. Maybe Halo Infinite multiplayer. Um, but yeah, I don't associate many games specifically with Christmas time or, or holiday breaks uh outside of those but those are some good memories for me for sure for sure so alrighty guys if you have a favorite holiday game email me insipidghost at gmail.com or tweet me at insipidghost find me on hive when that goes back live uh, as well and you're welcome to follow over on instagram as i kind of slowly enter into that realm uh like share subscribe on the youtubes it really does make a difference if you rate the show on itunes and spotify there you go i want to turn you now to uh, a, a really, really heavy but fascinating interview with Ukrainian developers Frogwares, specifically Antonina Melnikova. She's a narrative lead at Frogwares. They work on the Sherlock Holmes titles, which many of you have probably snagged from Games with Gold uh, or Game Pass. And they're working on Sherlock Holmes The Awakened, which is uh, a, a pseudo-sequel to Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1. It's in that same universe, but it's also a remake that they're kind of rewriting. Really fascinating element here. But Antonina discusses what it's like to be creating a game when you've got rolling blackouts due to Russian invasion attacks, missile strikes, what it's like to do uh, game development when you've been going to fight, your people around you have been going to fight, and then you come back and hope that your work has saved. We had to, we had scheduled our interview and had to reschedule because I logged in, I was doing a 5 a.m. Uh, call time for me, and, and I think late afternoon for them, and we had to reschedule because of an unexpected blackout and power lines being down. Um, hearing her discuss the gravity of that while still trying to make video games and, and keep their livelihood was both heavy and fascinating. And I hope, I really hope, guys, that if you're still listening to me now, you'll take a bit, listen to Antonina's interview, take a moment to, if you're able, go and support Frogwares, give them a shout over on your socials, uh, let them know you heard the interview, that you're supportive of them, because it really meant a lot to me that they were willing to, in such a time of tragedy and difficulty and frustration, come on and talk to me about video games and share their experiences and what it's going on. Antonina was a wonderful guest, uh, and, and I'm really grateful that we had a chance to talk to her uh, on the show. All right, guys, that's it for me. Enjoy the interview. Support Frogwares. Take care, everybody. Alrighty, guys, we are very fortunate now to welcome Antonina Melnikova, narrative lead over at Frogwares, working on Sherlock Holmes' The Awakened, onto the show. Thank you so much, Antonina, for joining me. Hi, everyone, and thank you for the invitation. I'm so excited to have you. This is actually our second attempt at getting to speak, because yesterday uh, we had scheduled a talk, and unfortunately, rolling blackouts in the Ukraine shut you down. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. It was like, uh, I think, five minutes prior the <laughs> the time we scheduled. So it was quite unexpected. 
that has to be frustrating as something to deal with uh, when you're trying to make a game and focus on a project to have so many distractions going on. And I think distractions is probably a very kind and, and light word given all that you're dealing with. Uh, given the way that, that you guys are having to make the game under duress, uh, how has development gone? How have you guys stayed positive? Uh, I don't think I can talk about uh, everyone in my team, but uh, for me uh, personally, it's not about uh, positivity so much, but uh, for, I don't know, for the strength and for anger to do it anyways, because mm -hmm. of those old people that want us not to do our work, not to live our lives and not to exist. It, it, it's more about doing it uh, just with the anger. <laughs> Understood. Understood. I'm curious, is, has it changed the timing for how you guys develop? Do you have to deal with rolling blackouts? Are there quick moments of sudden stoppage? Is it difficult to restart uh, after moments like that? Um, blackouts are not the thing that uh, it started not so long ago. Um, and half of that time I was actually in, uh, in a vacation. But mm -hmm. now when I came came back, yeah, it's quite quite difficult to restart everything. You need also to, to check if the equipment is still okay because of the the power can be not stable and something may burn <laughs> mm -hmm. um and yeah you 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 are not sure that you've saved your work you are not sure that you finished the part you need to check that twice or maybe thrice uh, so it takes i'd say maybe three more time mm -hmm. than than it's supposed to take man that has to be frustrating how long has the awakened uh, specifically been in development? Uh, we started working on the project in March 2022. Mm -hmm. So let's count March. Uh, almost a year, less, mm -hmm. less than a year. Mm -hmm. It's quite a small project. Uh, we specifically chose it uh, to do it uh, because because all those unexpected things, all the air alerts, uh, power shortages, uh, not all of the team members are available all of the time. So communication is also not an easy task at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to to make the scope of our work far far less to have to be able even to finish it. That's that's interesting you say that. Now, when you say it's a smaller project, that would mean that the team is small working on it uh, or that the scope of the project is different. Because if I remember correctly, this is a remaster of a title originally released in 2007. Is that correct? Um, not, not entirely, because okay. uh, to be fair, it is more of a remake than a remaster. Okay. Um, because we are redoing almost everything about the project, uh, about the game mm -hmm. from from scratch almost. <laughs> so the it's an entirely new engine. We need to uh, remake all the assets. 
Uh, we don't import anything from the original. We are adding modern gameplay mechanics uh, based on uh, Chapter 1 and uh, The Sinking City. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, The voice acting is uh, new music, sound effects. So we even worked on the story. Uh, we adjusted it so it works as a continuation of uh, Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1 of a young mm-hmm. Sherlock story. And now we have the emphasizes on uh, um, how this is the case that really bonds him and Watson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the only thing that really stays from the previous project, uh, it's um, the overall plot of the game mm-hmm. lo- and locations of each case. So wow. everything else was reworked, basically. So really and truly like a full remake at this point, that sounds, that does not sound like a small project, Antonina. Um, actually for us, it was a smaller because it's uh, firstly, it's not an open, it's not an open world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, more of a linear game. We all, and we already had the global story, the plot, and we had something already, we could start the project right now we didn't have to do the big big pre-production to find out the character arc the story the antagonist the cases so it was really really easier to do it you mentioned sherlock holmes the sinking city and chapter one uh and and those of course are our recent more more recent i should say sherlock holmes titles from frogwares uh, and well-reviewed, I might add. Fun fun games. And for anybody that wants to support Frogwares, I would recommend you guys go check those games out. They are a good time, and they're very, very cool uh, just to feel like Sherlock Holmes. But I'm curious, Antonina, did those titles, the assets and the voice actors, are they all making their way into uh, this, this new version with The Awakened? Is that why it makes it uh, a more accessible project for you guys? Uh, about the voice acting, I'd say no. We had to make the full recast, uh, except mm-hmm. for the Sherlock's voice, uh, obviously, because it's the same young Sherlock from Chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I can say that we had to reuse a lot of assets, but mm-hmm. but it was uh, easier because we are using the same engine, uh, Unreal 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically some of the features uh, and uh, internal tools were already existing and they're not the same as at the time when the original uh, The Awakened created. Gotcha. Like it was on the different engine. Mm-hmm. Well, this is interesting to me because you're taking you know the, the global story and plot from uh, the original release and you're now allowing it to work into... Uh, kind of this newer version of Sherlock Holmes to make it that after chapter one with that younger Holmes. Uh, and as a narrative lead, you're having to do some pretty, I guess you could say substantial rewrites in some ways to make sure that it does fit into that plot. Um, what's your day-to-day work like as a narrative lead on a project like this? Actually, it depends on the stage of the production. So the the heaviest narrative work, I'd say, is at the first two stages when the pre-production strikes Mm -hmm. and the actual production of the cases. So here our pre-production stage was uh, shorter than usual. So we had already the plot and we are working uh, on adjusting it as a continuation of the um, chapter one. 
So basically, this part uh, looked like uh, a lot of brainstorms, discussions, corrections, uh, iterations, and uh, uh, repeating that um, again and again until you are satisfied with uh, what you have. So uh, I'd say it's a some kind of presentations and documents mm-hmm. it doesn't seem uh, quite excite exciting <laughs> mm-hmm. um until it's been implemented in the game um and then uh, the second stage is working on the cases here we are tightly connected with the other team members other teams like mission designers who are scripting the gameplay feature designers uh so it's uh, more like a communication and day-to-day switching back and forth, uh, creating the gameplay, playing it, uh, iterating, and repeating that again and again. How long does that process take usually? It depends on the size of the project. So this, uh, the vacant is quite small one. It's around a year takes um the sinking city i remember it took i say two and a half years including the pre-production so i'm thinking about the the way you guys are starting this project and you keep saying it's small how many people are working on it uh and and also you say that a year is short that surprises me i would think that's a longer amount of time no, it's quite quite a short one because uh, you need to finish all those uh, things quite early and also you have the stage of uh, publishing that takes several months. Um, so it's it feels really short. Uh, about the team, we have around 90 people in the company overall, but um, not all of them were able to work with us. So at its peak, around 10% of our team was either in the military, for example, or um, full-time in humanitarian aid groups. Um, Since the start of the invasion, some have come back to the team, others continue to fight or to help. Um, So... We cannot say that all the team was available all the time. Whew, that's just a heavy, heavy element. Uh, are there yeah. days where people come back and you're just, you don't want to work on this? Does it feel frivolous sometimes? Because you, you talked earlier about putting that anger, uh, and I can only imagine, but that anger into the project. But are there days where it's you're back and you're just, no, it's just not feeling it? Yeah, it happens quite uh, quite often, actually. But um, I don't think we have the luxury to uh, to not doing anything. Um, actually, uh, by working, we are helping our country. It's also uh, how do I say the the taxes? It helps the economy to run without mm. uh, if everyone stops working everything will collapse and uh, there's no way back so you Got just it. need to push and just uh, wait when it ends this game was originally pushed uh and it went through a kickstarter uh early on is that correct uh yeah yeah it was mainly there to create a financial safety uh for the team 
Mm-hmm. Uh, while also we wanted to be able to add some of our most loyal fans into the game in some way so they could contribute to it and see their impact on the production. Do you think that between Russia's invasion and what the team's having to deal with and the Kickstarter uh, approach that that the, the fans for this game and people will be uh, more involved and more receptive upon launch? Do you think that's going to play a factor in any way? I'd say mainly it plays a moral effect because we saw that uh, awesome success of the Kickstarter. And uh, as, a, as, a, as a developer, when you see the fans, the people that are really engaged, that uh, really like your games, that are ready to support you, even on those hard times, it, it really helps to still exist and still wake up the next morning. Mm. So I'd say it was, for me, it was the most important impact of the Kickstarter on me. Interesting. Interesting. And your teammates, do you think they would say something similar? I think yes. Yes. It's quite, it's very, very important for the developer to see that their work is uh, appreciated and is liked by someone. That's that's why we are creating those projects, actually. Are you able to interact with fans on social media or Discord servers, given all that, that you guys are going on with? Are you able to interact and dialogue with them? Uh, yeah, actually, we have a f- official Frogwares Discord server. Uh, so, and uh, as far as I know, all the all team members have access to it and can interact with all those people on the server. Um, and also, we can see and access the overall media, like I don't know, Twitter or Facebook. Mm-hmm. We have also pages there. So yeah, we are. Uh, we can see the comments the excitement, uh, everything, and feedback also. Interesting. That's cool. Well, talk to me, Antonina, a little bit about working with Sherlock Holmes as a character that's so iconic in history and as a brand uh, in general. Uh, it, it, this, it might correct me if I'm wrong, but this is not your first time being working in narrative with Sherlock Holmes. You were a part of a different project too as well. Um, yes, yes. I was working also on chapter one. So it's like my second project with Sherlock Holmes. Gotcha. And you, how much research did you have to do given, uh, given all the extensive stories, uh, many by the original author and many not, uh, how many, how much research did you have to do to get Sherlock Holmes right for this version? Oh, actually, I'd say we made the majority of this research when creating chapter one. The character mm-hmm. is the same, the young Sherlock. But when we were creating that project, uh, chapter one, we had a quite extensive, uh, a big research. Uh, we are not only uh, reading the novels several times. We also were um, aware of all the media, like TV shows, um films um sometimes comic books we we are even saw the japanese version of a female sherlock holmes so we had quite quite a lot of references mm-hmm. um it was quite a big pool of things we could um uh, like pick pick those uh small quirks and personality um uh, characteristics we wanted to see in our character Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think it 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 worked quite well. We have a solid one, uh, a more vulnerable emotionally, I'd say. It's not a it's not a usual approach to Sherlock Holmes, but that was the idea. We wanted to sh- to show something new, to show him from from a bit another side, make him more humane, not like a, a logic machine. <laughs> Does, are there any uh, media versions that have played a big influence into the Frogwares version of the character? I don't think I can name uh, something in particular. I'd say mm-hmm. we uh, we made a big extensive research and just uh, poked our nose here and there, mm-hmm. seeing the details, maybe even uh, half tones of personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly, uh, mainly, I think maybe the BBC Sherlock was the the biggest one. In it's Benedict Cumberbatch's version, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, what about the characters surrounding Holmes? Certainly, they play a big part in his journey. There are various versions of Sherlock where uh, he struggles, and in Chapter One, Watson seems to be a really big guiding force in in kind of getting Sherlock to to really go on his path. Uh, can you talk to me about his supporting characters? Actually, in Chapter 1, we don't have Watson. Until oh, no, the... am I misremembering? Uh, yeah, until until the uh, after-credits uh, oh, scene when he, when they meet for the first time. We have, uh, we have a tulpa uh, in Chapter 1. It's an imaginary friend, kind of, uh, okay. who's also All called right. John. Uh, and his uh, he appeared because of his childhood trauma and a feeling of loneliness. He had to have some someone instead of his brother mm-hmm. or someone a, a good friend by his side. That was his role, actually. I'm embarrassed, and I'm just going to blame that on a 5 a.m. interview. How's that? Uh, no, no, no. That's think cool. they'll let me off the hook for that one. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, talk to me about the surrounding characters uh, as you guys create them and bringing out the best in Sherlock. What types of characters do you try to put around him? Uh, we've tried to add someone who would be uh, on the other side of the, uh, I don't know. Um, um, I'd say we need someone who's uh, contrasting through the character. So mm-hmm. we could see the difference between him and his supporting character. Otherwise, it's uh, Tulpa John or John Watson. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them, actually, at Chapter 1 and at Awakening, are more uh, more emotional ones, not so uh, obsessed with logic and more social characters, mm-hmm. uh, understanding those social cues better way better than sherlock um it helps to highlight actually the character of sherlock and vice versa sherlock's character highlights their support character watson Uh, they are like uh, black and white um, supporting each other and Mm -hmm. working together in pair Interesting. And how about the villains? I mean, a lot of times a hero is defined by the villain or the the problem that they face. Uh, Sherlock Holmes often deals with, you know, Professor Moriarty, but in The Awakened, uh, who's the villain that we're dealing with? Oh, the the villain is uh, 
connected uh, to something that is opposite to logic. It's an occult uh, leader um, who's dealing with uh, magic, psychic powers, obsessed with power or maybe uh, wanting to uh, collapse all the world. So it's like basically also the opposite uh, thing of Sherlock, the things that he cannot understand, he cannot uh, maybe not really understand, but he cannot uh, describe it with logic. That's the main problem of Sherlock, actually. Um, he is quite successful in all those cases, uh, in the work of man, as he says, actually. Mm-hmm. But here he'll be. Uh, he has to face something maybe more occult and undescribable, un, unlogical even. And he has to deal with this uh, to accept that, that something like that can exist uh, and mainly uh, shatter his own uh, worldview or try to find the logic explanation of all those things that he will face. Interesting. I'm curious, Antonina, as we wrap up here, what message do you have for fans that are interested in supporting your team, Frogwares, uh, or are just interested in Sherlock Holmes titles? Would you what would you like to say to them? I I'd like to say I think thank you. That's the biggest thing I would like to them to hear. Um the more the more we hear uh, all those supportive uh, words um, the more it helps us it's not it's not always about the funding uh, sometimes it's about understanding that you are needed for someone out there And I would encourage any listener, go to frogwares.com, check out the the games that they have that are in the Sherlock Holmes uh, category. They've got Chapter 1, The Sinking City, Devil's Daughter, Crimes and Punishments. Um, their socials are all there um, that you can find and, and offer support to the team because I really love to see people uh, respond to this one. When are you guys anticipating uh, all things going well? When are you anticipating The Awakened to release? Um, we are aiming for February or March 2023, mm-hmm. but we have to be open uh, to the fact that if the situation forces us, we'll have to delay it. Do you think, I'm curious, because March is often uh, become, or rather, especially after the Game Awards, becoming a crowded time. Uh, is there a need to get the game out in a certain amount of time in order for the studio to be financially okay? That might be something you can't answer. I'm just curious, given all that's going on, if that's a factor at all. Um, I'm not sure I can answer that because mm-hmm. we have a separate team dealing with that. Uh, maybe it's better to ask them. <laughs> sure, sure. No problem. Well, Antonina Melnikova, I appreciate you so much for taking the time, especially under the conditions that you did, uh, to join me today. Thank you. <laughs>